0: Jeez. I hate people. I hate people. This is why they're the worst. Are you ready for it? I'm Rebecca. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, I'm Rachel. (laughs) Welcome to People Are the Worst. We are twin (laughs) sisters who love true crime, love a plot twist, and hate people. Hate people. Except... Uh, Rach reminded me... You. ...before recording to always introduce myself first, so I just really ran and (laughs) then got it. I mean... (laughs) Sure. Whatever works to make us remember. Probably a little bit more raspier this go-around. We had a big old weekend last weekend, um... Yeah, we had a high school friend, got married. It was the best. It was four days of a reunion and just laughing and talking a lot. Yeah. Um, and we met a few people who listened to the pod, so we really appreciate y'all. Um, oh, my God. That was so fun. I was like, It what? was so fun. Uh, and then it makes me, every second of every day, go check to see if anyone gotten a new review. And I do want to say thanks to K-Money. These people are the worst. This pod is the best. I cannot wait for my little... I can't wait for my little to nap so I can binge Rachel and Rebecca. You better not make us wait more than a month before season two. Promise? Yes. Yes, we promise. It's Even a month has been like... Torture. I'm like, maybe we need to start releasing them. I'm just kidding. I don't want to be in the same stage where we're like in real time like shit. I'm like, yeah, we're catching up. But yeah, and by the time this airs, again, join our Patreon. It'll be... Awesome. It, yeah. Hopefully all set up, ready to go. Another thing we gotta get together. I get scared to say it, but no, this actually holds us accountable. So this works. Yeah. And then that's really all I had at the top, except I do have to tell Rachel something that she's gonna be <laughs> shocked by. Oh wait, really? Yeah. And I'll give you listeners the backstory, but I just wanna first tell Rachel. Grafton Pritchard was talking about Anne. <gasps> DC. <Do you see? laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, now the backstory, As you know, me, Rebecca, used to live in D.C., and recently I posted a picture of me and my roommate, um, and a girl from college messaged me and was like, how, how, did you live in D.C. when I did and we didn't know or ever hang out? And I was like, oh, my God, I have no idea. She lived there from 2010 to 2019. I lived there from 2010 to 2016. So it's crazy we never crossed paths. Yeah, but, that's weird. We were kind of talking, DMing back and forth about where we lived. I was like, oh, everywhere. Um, first Georgetown, then Foxhall, then Columbia Heights, and then downtown D.C. and K, K Street. And she s- spent all nine years in Capitol Hill, but she said she wished she had lived in Georgetown. I was like, oh, I mean, nah, I wish I lived, gave Capitol Hill a shot. But she said, we are going to live in Georgetown, but she had a crazy encounter with some hoarder that wanted them to live with her. And As me and Rachel have touched on before, I have a very similar insane story about this crazy woman who I almost lived with. She was almost my landlord. I was up there alone being in charge of all my roommates and finding us a house. And she'd like show up at my work, show up where I'm staying. She was literally insane. Um, We'll we'll tell you that story on the Patreon as a bonus episode one day. But it's just so crazy that like out of, I was like, wait, what's her name? By chance, Anne, or and or Deborah or Emma, which name did she tell you? Because when Rebecca read me that, I was like, I guarantee it's Anne. I just why not? I guarantee it. How funny is that? I know it's like crazy. Small world, small world. I really will. Okay, that is going to be one of my bonus episodes on the Patreon, and I'm gonna like. Reach out to Grafton, I'll get her story. I'm gonna need that dude's phone number, ASAP. Um, who also mm. another guy she met had similar <laughs> interactions with Ann, Deborah, Aunt Emma. Um <laughs> it, <laughs> she gave different names. So anyway, Rach said, if this ends up being Anne, you have to wait till a recording to tell me. So all last weekend I was just keeping my trap shut. Oh my god, and we were uh, like drinking wine. I know, man. Just wanted to see her. <gasps> face. Oh, my God. Bitch be cray. And I took a picture of it. Of what? Of your... Oh, you did? Your surprise face. Y'all, it's a crazy story. I am going to tell it on Patreon. That's a great bonus episode. She's insane. I know. No. Yeah, she is insane. Okay. I, Rebecca, will be telling (laughs) the story uh, today. And again, I'm sorry if I'm a little raspier than usual, but it's just the way it goes. Totally. And I will be, I, Rachel, will be listening with very witty and insightful mm-hmm. commentary. Great. So i tell you all about Jessica Dishon. I did not. Okay. Yay. I'm amped on this one, actually. I know you know it. Mm-hmm. Okay. My sources are Crime Historian, WDRB, Cold Case Fire, Files, and Court Courier.com. Nice. Mm -hmm. Jessica Dishon was 17 years old, living in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, with her parents, Edna and Mike, and her two little brothers, Chris and Michael, who are, I think, 13 and 14 at this point. She had a ton of friends and worked at a local Hardee's with her best friend, Sarah, who said she was very polite and sweet in front of adults, but when she would get around her friends, she would have them laughing so hard, milk would come out of their noses. Oh, sweet. I know, and a little Kentucky accent. Just like milk would come out of our noses. Oh, cute! She was always doing something crazy for a laugh, according to Sarah. Her brother said she was the best big sister, and they did everything together. Like she wasn't like the typical "I'm too cool to hang out with younger siblings." Like if she was going to the mall with hang out to hang out with friends, she would invite her little brothers to come. That's sweet. sweet. I know it's really sweet. So the dishons had a daily re- routine and the morning of September 10th, 1999 started out completely normal. Edna gets up at around 4.30 to make her husband's lunch and get the two boys ready for school. She left work for at a nearby daycare just around 6 a.m. Her husband left work around 6.30 and the younger boys left around 6.45. So Jessica was always the last one to leave around 7.15 and she drove herself to Bullet Central High School. As a senior, you get senior privileges. Totally. Totally. Remember that. Remember that parking spot life. Oh my god. When they would assign your parking spot and you're like, give me something good. Based on alphabet and um and how, how many ma- passengers? How many passengers? Because there are two of us. Yeah. So we got like number two spot motherfucker. Yep. At 1.30 p.m. And I got home from work and saw Jessica's car was still in the driveway. She never missed school, so she assumed she was homesick and walked through the house, but each bedroom was empty and the house was eerily quiet. So she called her husband to see if Mike had by chance driven her to school, and he hadn't. So he suggested that she, Edna, get the spare key and see if she had car troubles by chance. So she grabs the key, and when she opens the door, she said her world crumbled. She just knew something was wrong. She saw Jessica's backpack and purse in the back seat, her keys and one shoe were on the floorboard, and her cell phone was on the passenger seat. So this is 1999, so it wasn't t- standard to have a cell phone. So it was like that big brick phone. But Edna picked it up and saw the numbers 9-1 typed in. It so said she felt numb. Like, oh. I can't imagine that gut punch. That is the <sighs> scariest part. Yeah. She immediately called Bullitt County Sheriff's Office. And to them, it didn't sound that serious. So they sent a rookie deputy out. Uh, his name is David Greenwell and it didn't feel right to him at all. He completely agreed. This looked like an, an abduction. So he calls senior detective Charles Mann, who is at home at the time, and refused to go see it. It just feels... Very small town, but I think they're like outside of Lexington or Louisville. No, they, yeah, they're close to Louisville, it's so like 20 minutes away. It, all the red flags are there, and they're just like... I know it's probably fine. Like, I, I think they were just too intimidated by the situation, which is like well, frightening. It's a, I mean, maybe that was it, but my more cynical side says it was a Friday night. He was already at home off duty, didn't feel like it. Oh, God. That's even more frightening. I know. Deputy Greenwell actually called him twice. And Charles Mann said she was eight, either probably at the football game or a runaway and he didn't want to come all the way out there quote unquote if he didn't have to so okay now because a 17 year old running away isn't alarming either i know like she'll just be back and also like no no you do have to this rookie who's new to all this needs is requesting guidance and help to this distraught family you do have to yeah where's your didn't you take an oath What's going on? What's happening here? She's at the football game. Okay, we'll go check. If she's not there, will you come? Right. Or surely there's someone at the football game who can doubt. Whatever. Yeah. And she wasn't at school all day. What makes you think she would ever go to the football game? Yeah. Anyway, he doesn't go. So Greenwell is taking a bunch of pictures and tells the family to come into the station first thing tomorrow if she still isn't back. Charles Mann, that detective, later looked at those pictures and said nothing really stood out as foul play since there wasn't blood, scuff marks on the driveway, torn clothes, or anything that would, quote-unquote, tip anyone off other than a parent. How? Like The cell phone alone yeah. gets me. Oof. Nine-one is typed in. Right. out of here. So after a night of zero sleep, they marched into police station at 6 a.m. Saturday morning to tell them she's still not home, so that rules out the dumbass football theory. And they take it a little bit more seriously. They brought disaster and emergency service workers and volunteers to search the wooded area near the family's home. They didn't rope anything off, not the car, which was their only physical evidence. Instead, they poked around in it without wearing gloves. Like, I know you're a small town and abductions are new, but tighten up, Shepherdsville. Come on. Gloves. Gloves, man. 101. Right. And... The town was a buzz, and without the car being impounded, it sat in the driveway for all the people to come see. Everyone was all over it. Friends and neighbors were looking through it, of course trying to help, but tampering the shit out of some evidence. And a local reporter even did a segment from inside the car. <gasps> oh my God. I know. I'm like, it's like cringy. Oh, God. I looked, I tried to look up the segment. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. They probably took it immediately down. Yeah. After. it was like, uh, no. But at the same time, these civilians are allowed to not know how to handle evidence. They're not in the line of duty. They probably thought the cops cleared it and it was fine. But I mean, I know at that, at 2022, we would not be near that thing. But I mean, okay. It's 1999. I guess. Oh. So by Monday, the FBI was involved and finally impounded the car, which (laughs) there were 30 different sets of fingerprints, all unidentifiable. So what's the point at this point? The Dishans were very vocal about how the cops weren't helping them. They facilitated all searches, and to their knowledge, the police weren't doing anything to look for. Then one night, Stanley Dishon, that's Mike's brother and Jessica's uncle, Suggested they search at the river bottoms, which is a wooded area along the river where people like dump trash, stolen vehicles, you know, just just where people go litter, or like underage drink. I'm sure. Oh, huh. Like we'll, a, we'll get to that, but I forget that you know the story already. Oh, I don't know. Oh, uh, I don't. I, if that's a detail in the story, I don't remember it. But I'm I'm just picturing like a what we used to call a donton. like yeah in the woods drinking when no one's parents are out of town yeah get a bonfire going and there you go yeah totally okay so stanley thinks if anyone were to kill her they would have her body there Um, so they gather a bunch of friends and start searching that area but at one point stanley throws up because he's so upset and sick about it so that ended the search for the day but (laughs) later that night Chris, Jessica's brother, was out back feeding the dogs and ran in panic, telling his dad he thinks he just heard Jessica yelling help. So Mike grabs his gun and runs outside to look around, and at this moment, Stanley's pulling in the driveway, so he jumps in the car, and they drive toward the direction where Chris thought he heard her. It led them on top of a hill where they see their neighbor, David Brooks, who they called Bucky, so Bucky Brooks, burning a bunch of clothes in a barrel. The Brooks family consisted of three brothers, Bucky, who is 40, Tommy Brooks, and Herbert Brooks. I don't know their ages, but they're adults. They all live at their father's farm next door to the dishes, and Bucky and Mike actually grew up being friends. Like, they hung out when they were little. So Mike's all, hey, can we look at your property? Chris thought he heard Jessica, and Bucky tells him no. (laughs) So Stanley and Mike are shocked because... From the beginning, the entire community has been very cooperative and willing to let whoever search wherever they had that camaraderie. Yeah, they just wanted to find poor Jessica. This is the first person to say no. So they're pissed. And they call the police who get a warrant to search the property. They bring three dogs, and one of the three dogs hit on the barrel. They also found a picture of Jessica, her (gasps) school picture. Oh, I forgot about that. I mean sketch AF, but not enough to make an arrest. So while they're suspicious, there's no hard evidence that so they have to leave. Like hanging in as on a wall yeah, or yeah. something, right? No. Oh. And I think it was found in a barn, like on a desk, but still nonetheless, I don't even know how you get that. Oh uh, sketch. Yeah, so it's sketch, but unfortunately they can't make an arrest right there. Over the next few weeks the search really intensified. They have helicopters, airplanes, dogs, and dozens of volunteers combing the area. Friends posted flyers around the county, which had a picture of Jessica with her recently dyed strawberry blonde hair. She was naturally a brunette. Another search and rescue dog followed her scent down the driveway, but lost it when she when he got to the street. So obviously, she was put into a car. Yeah. The morning of September 27th, 17 days after she went missing, a school bus driver named Karen Hobbs, who was actually Jessica's school bus driver when she was in elementary school, was on her route when she caught a glimpse of something blue in the woods. She couldn't get out of her head all day, so once she completed her bus run for the day, she asked a friend to come back with her to see what it was. As they walk closer, they see that it's a pair of jeans, and they immediately turn and run to the closest house to call the police. It was Jessica leaning up against the tree about 60 feet off the main road. Oh, she was, like, upright? Yes. Oh, she, God. She was beaten up. She had a few missing fingers, and her foot was missing. She was also bound with rope. Oh, God. I know. Uh, this area had already been searched before, so FBI concluded that someone must have moved her body so she could be found because it was pretty out in the open. I mean, a... Bus driver saw it in passing when they weren't specifically looking for anything. I mean, yeah, it just caught her eye. So, yeah. But then the hour, Sheriff Parsley drove to the dishes to tell Mike and Edna, who saw him walking up the driveway, and they knew what he was about to say. Edna later said it looked like he had lost his best friend. Oh no, that would be. I mean, and, you just have a feeling, and then like you've heard that before when they're they're like, we saw him take off his hat or something they know right they're about to deliver really bad news yeah ooh, yeah and like i can't imagine being sheriff parsley telling a family would never get easy especially a child yeah ooh. so he said sheriff parsley says we found jessica and it's not good and edna yells at him tell me she's a runaway now like she really lays into him and i get i'm like She's furious. Oh, yeah. That would be, too. Yeah, I would be, too. That's true. Yeah, it'd especially be hard going to, to deliver that news when he botched the case so badly. Oh, I know. So, yeah. okay. Oh, poor I can imagine if it was Charles Mann going to deliver that news. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time you say his name, I think you are about to say Manson. I know. Every time I read it, I was thinking Charles Manson. <laughs> no, I know. I would break his kneecaps right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. So He says they need someone to come identify her, which no, you don't. Mike refuses and says, I don't want to see her that way. So Edna is willing to go and her face is unidentifiable. I'm like, then why'd you request it? And guys, that is optional. That is optional. I was about to say, words of the wise, you absolutely do not have to identify. You can hand in a picture and say, you do it. They try to make us identify our mom. And I was like, I had that noted being like, that is bullshit. Yeah. Our mom was not murdered. And could be recognized and they asked one of us to identify her and we said hell no we just didn't thank you want to I volunteered to because I thought you had to and then it was like such a it made the room so thick that I was like is this absolutely necessary she's like well no if you give me a recent picture I'll do it I was like did you not read the room when you said one of us had to do it like no. we're all looking in terror at each other being like holy shit what no. I especially mean, especially when her face is unrecognizable, like y'all yeah. like monsters. So she identifies her by a star tattoo that was on her hip. I'm like, <sighs> what? Like, anyway, so that is optional. But now I have another question about Jessica, though. Okay, so 17 days later, she was found. She was that decomposed. She, her face was beaten that so bad. badly, and the decomposition process had started. Yes.
1: Yeah, but I, I guess mean,
0: she was in the outdoors. I mean, what what is this? September is hot. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. If you're in a muggy, I mean, maybe yeah. just seventeen days is not very long, especially to be totally unrecognizable. But if she was oh, beaten so hard, sad, She's beaten and no, that decomposition process had already taken place. I don't know when that come mm-hmm. identify the body. No. When they were examining her body, investigators concluded that roughly 18 hours before, someone moved her body 15 feet closer to the road where she would be more visible, like I said. How they know 18 hours before, like, fascinates me. Crazy work they're doing, man. It's crazy. Isn't weird? I'm like, ha- wait, let's get more into that. Yeah. It's crazy. But they can tell everything, even in 1999, so who knew? They could also tell she was previously hidden under a tire and debris, and Karen confirmed what she, when she saw her, she was not under a tire. Um, ew. And what a disregard for human life, because I imagine they could only tell that if she had, like, tire yeah. marks. Ugh. Again, how do you know that? Probably, like, tread marks. I don't know if one's like, thrown on her. She wasn't run over, so I don't, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Oof. Grosses me out, though. Mm-hmm. Her autopsy showed that she had been struck in the face, most likely with the fist, with enough severity to break her jaw. She was raped and strangled. And she was most likely held for up to three days before dying. So, really. So, even further to back up, the 17 days is not that long for to for a body to be decomposed so bad you couldn't recognize. It's actually 14 days. 14. Yeah. It's not just two weeks, but after- I can see that. Just the elements? Yeah. That, yeah, the elements. I guess. But it's it's possible that her brother actually did hear her. I, I, no sur- sources confirm, like, how many days after she was missing the, when he heard that, but. I was, I mean. I was thinking that. I don't know. Um, the thought of being punched so hard in the face with just a hand, with a, so much force that it breaks your jaw, makes me nauseous. I don't know. Ow. Ugh. Of the 63 pieces of evidence on or near Jessica's body, only one item had DNA of an unknown male on it. A couple of weeks go by and the additions and some of their family members start receiving very disturbing phone calls. I couldn't find a source to hard confirm what was exactly said, but another podcast said it was like prank calls pretending to be Jessica. Like, Dad, don't let them kill me and awful shit like that. Ew. So they call the phone company. Obviously, this is before caller ID, and the calls were coming from Bucky and Joseph Brooks. How fucked up is that? I will kill you. Mm-hmm. I love that they were able to just like, "Hey, who is this calling?" And they're like, "Oh, here you go." Right. I don't know. Well, I'm sure FBI or cops got involved, but apparently, after the cops searched their house. The entire community was treating Bucky as number one suspect, and he was pissed and decided to retaliate by harassing the victim's family. Bucky, this does not help your case or the community's perception of you. No. Where is your PR manager? (laughs) (laughs) I've done that. I was just merely a PR intern, and I know more than that. (laughs) Sure. He and his brother are charged with harassment, and ordered to stay 1,000 feet from the dishes. So police questioned Bucky, and he says that he saw Jessica walking to school that day, but later changed the story to say he saw her by her car on the way to work that day. But no one else went to work that early, so no one could vouch that he was there. There's not like a time in, time out? I know. I know. Damn. They searched his work van, and they saw some rope that appeared similar to the one that was found on Jessica, but there's no way of testing it back then, so we don't know if it's the same one or not. Either way, the police are convinced that they have their guy, and they begin building the case against Bucky and Joseph, and in January 2001, they make their arrest. Bucky is charged with murder, kidnapping, tampering with physical evidence and complicity. Joseph Brooks is charged with tampering with physical evidence and complicity. Bucky's held in jail until January of 2003, so two years later, which is when his trial set. Prosecution was seeking the death penalty for capital murder, which the Ditchens were thrilled about. And the defense was fighting against all the lack of evidence because it was all circumstantial, and it was. Like, they used the fact that Bucky bought carpet cleaner the day she went missing as evidence, along with that weird-ass behavior and harassing the Ditchens and not cooperating with authorities which, again, the defense argued that was all within his rights. He can say no if they don't have a warrant, which is all true. But for a small town where you grew up with the victim's father, you would think and you like, would let him do a civilian search. in your neighbors, like, come I on. I know. Then the lead detective, Charles Mann, the one who refused to go help the deputy Greenwell that day, the rookie, got on the stand and they asked why he thought Bucky did it. And he said because he failed a polygraph test which is not at all admissible in court. You cannot bring it up when testifying. Can't oh, do any of yeah. that. Come on, Charles Manson. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't give a damn about this. So uh, the judge ruled a mistrial. God. After reviewing all the facts of the case and the fact that Bucky's DNA was not that of the unidentified males that was one of the 63 pieces of evidence on her, He dropped all charges, and a retrial wasn't going to happen. However, everyone in town still thought he got away with murder. He couldn't get a job. He and his family moved around a, a lot to avoid the public shame. Years went by, and this turned into a cold case, and unfortunately, Mike and Edna ended up divorcing, which obviously is very common with missing or murdered children. So sad. It's just too much for them to handle. Yeah, and it is. I get it. But things took a turn in 2010, 11 years after Jessica went missing, when David Greenwell, the rookie, was elected Bullock County Sheriff. Hell yeah. So the only one who took it seriously from day one is now in charge, motherfucker. (laughs) Listen up, bitches. (laughs) And he hired two experienced detectives out of Louisville to work on cold cases, one of which was Lynn Hunt, who became the lead investigator on Jessica's case. Always want a woman in there. Always. We're diligent. We, we're detail-oriented. Get shit done. Mm-hmm. You know? We do. Bitches get shit done. Mm-hmm. Tina Fey. Tina Fey. <laughs> Amy Poehler. <laughs> SNL. I don't know which one. I think Tina Fey said it, but it was one yeah. there on SNL. Week- weekend update. <laughs> Come on. I <laughs> guess bitches get shit done. Yeah. Uh, Lynn went to Mike Dishon's house to take a look at jessica's room which hadn't been touched since the day she went missing so it looked the exact same for over a decade also very common for parents to do with missing children yeah but she wanted to get a sense of who she was just kind of get to know her so mike actually pulled out of the closet a hat box full of the evidence police gave back to them which shocked her like she couldn't retest anything it had not been properly stored it's like an evidence like collecting dust sorry i didn't mean to interrupt that's okay. I just should have been in an evidence locker. That's all. I'm screaming. She asked other detectives for Jessica's files, and they gave her a bunch of sticky notes and shit like that, so she had nothing to work with. So she asked the defense team in Bucky's trial for their notes, and apparently they did a far better job. As it turns out, Bucky had a very low IQ. One source said it was a 61, which is the equivalent of a third grader, which meant he should not have been able to take that polygraph test because he probably couldn't comprehend the questions. And he couldn't keep his story oh, straight. Yeah. What were the questions he failed? No, they, don't, they never say what polygraph questions he failed. And that makes sense as to why he couldn't keep his story straight, because they would ask him for his alibi like in different ways. So he probably confused him. I'm getting Brandon Dassey vibes. Totally Brandon Dassey vibes, yeah. Like he's like, I don't know. Tell me what you want me to say and I'll say it. Right. <laughs> like it's it. Because I just want to go home and study for a test. Oh, God, I can't. I cannot. God, making a murder, guys. I mean, I know you've all seen it. But I also think of, when I think of Brandon Dassey, those, um, the jeans he was wearing, which had a zipper under the knee to turn into shorts. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Those were amazing. The retaliation and harassing, yes, very wrong, fucked up for him and his brother to do. But he probably didn't really understand how wrong that was. He was just pissed at how people were treating him, and he was later asked if it hurt his feelings that they called out his low IQ, and he said something like, "Nah, no one's smart in Shepherdsville," which I'm sure that's not true, but it's just such an like, yeah, he's like no, laid back, easy s- old Southern draw answer, <laughs> yeah, we're, no, nah. he's like, we're all on the same playing field, um- oh, no, no, isn't true, Shepherdsville. I'm sure they are very smart people. Now I'm getting sad for him, and i know. Anyway, after reviewing this, Lynn was like, holy shit, Bucky did not do this. I have to start all over. Then two inmates came forward and said they were incarcerated with a guy who confessed to murdering Jessica. These are obviously sometimes bullshit, but these guys who are referred to as prisoner X and prisoner Y had no reduced sentence in exchange for information. Like They were getting nothing out of it. So she went to go interview him. And according to inmate X, this man was significantly older than Jessica and had been molesting her for years and claimed that they had a relationship going, but she got a boyfriend her own age, and he got jealous and went to confront her that morning. So Jessica threatened to tell on him for the sexual abuse, and he snapped. Prisoner Y was interviewed completely separately and had the exact same story. The inmate said she was taken to a barn, and all they knew was that it was near water and she was held there for a few days, and he tortured her and cut off some fingers to make it look like a drug deal had gone wrong. Then he, quote-unquote, strangled the bitch. Yeah. This sold Lynn because there was no way of them knowing about the severed fingers. It was never released to the public. They also asked if she only had on one shoe when they found her, and Lynn tells them no. Her shoe was found in the car when the struggle ensued, and they're like, okay, he has the other one. So (gasps) one's like, okay, I believe you. Give me the name now, and they tell her it was Stanley Dishon, Jessica's uncle. Oh, disgusting! Disgusting. And the one like, yeah, let's go confront Bucky and let's go search the right river, river bottoms, which is isn't that where she was found? Like, what was he doing? Well, yeah, which makes which obviously makes sense. He they determined that whoever. Someone moved the body so she would be found, which is the sign of, like, you did care for her. Like, she's your <sighs> little niece. You want you don't want her to, I know, but it's ridiculous. But get you don't out want her here. to actually disintegrate into nowhere. You want her to have a funeral proper, whatever. It's like some fucked up thing Ugh. where they actually did want her to be found. and Like, his family have closure. But, yeah. like, it's your fault. Oh, God, get out of here with that. I know, I know. Quit defending it's very <laughs> common. I'm no. I'm not. Believe me, I'm not. I'm kidding. At first, she does not at all believe this. It, like, loses their credibility, and she's like, no way. But when she actually looks up where Stanley is, and lo and behold, he is currently in jail for sexually abusing his own daughter and stepdaughter. Ugh. I hate home. I swear all my stories won't have incest in them. Ugh. Oh. Um, I don't know. that. At this point, when people are listening to this, that was two episodes ago. That's true. So chill. And let my father do his job. So, and Peppa's got swinging swingin again. again. All right. <laughs> the barn they mentioned likely had all the physical evidence she needed. So she went on a hunt with it and she brought Jessica's brother to go with her, which I'd be like, fuck yeah. Let's go get this mother effer. Yeah. So they're driving on a road where Jessica's body was found, and her brother points out an abandoned barn and said that kids used to party and underage drink in it. Rach. Oh, yeah. You know an underage drinking barn when you hear one. (laughs) It's just so obvious. In the South, at least, people. Yeah. It's like, what you did? So she whips that car around and heads for it, and it's obviously very trash. It's decades of beer cans and high school shenanigans and... (laughs) Regrets. <laughs> yeah. Just Just shame. Screening phone calls from your parents. Uh-huh. Getting busted. All of it. All of it. Just haunting the barn. Mm-hmm. So they're digging through all the filth, and she comes across a fitted sheet, and what she thinks is covered in blood. So they haul ass to Mike Dishon's house to look at Jessica's bed again, and she sees that there's only a top sheet on it, which has the same pattern as the bloody fitted sheet this was jessica's yeah so they arrest stanley who apparently victimized five other family members including a nephew who took the stand at stanley's pre-trial hearing looked at him and said i was a boy then i'm a man now and if we were allowed 10 minutes in a room you wouldn't walk out Oh, slow clap how do they not just slow clap or drop a mic or something Uh, or if i were the judge i'd be like you can yeah, have ten you're minutes. Allowed. <laughs> you're allowed. you <laughs> yeah, I'll give you ten minutes. I don't know. Ten minutes. Okay. Sure. It was like when um that fucking creep gymnastics doctor Larry Ew. whatever at his trial one of the parent one of the dads said I think it I guess in the victim statement I don't know that family impact statements yeah asked can I get an, alone in a room with them and like and the judge was like. I get it, but, like, you know I can't do that. And he <laughs> jumped the partition or whatever and, like, just went. Oh yeah. I mean, he was, hel- he, the cops had to, like, jump on him. But I'm sure they'd be, like, I bet inside they were, like, I'm going to b- look away for a second, pretend yeah. I don't see him. I'm- Give him a good five seconds to just pound his face in. For Oh, my God. Be like, all right, cops, let's all um, tie our shoe at this point. Very moment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or the judge be like, you know I can't do that and give him a little wink. Give him a little wink. But I'm going to turn my chair to have a sip of this water. (laughs) Boy, am I thirsty. So it's going to take me a little while to chug this entire glass. God, I love it. So good for that nephew. Brave boy turned man who's going to kick some ass. Right. Wait, how did they arrest him? He was already in jail for. Oh, he was. He got out for. Sorry. I should have clarified. I don't know how. Oh, okay. Yeah, this wasn't, I know I'm doing a timeline kind of quickly, but obviously she had to gather the evidence, test the sheet, which takes a few weeks to, you know. Yeah, okay. So he was out of jail for raping his daughter. Sure, yes, unfortunately. Okay, well, and then they arrested him again. Great. Yeah. Yeah. After gathering all the evidence, this is what they think happened that day. So Stanley went over there to confront Jessica about her boyfriend, just as the inmate said. And when she threatened to tell her parents about what's been going on, he attacked her. She was kicking him from inside the car, trying to call 911, hence why they found the shoe on the floorboard and the one dialed in. She got away and ran inside and tried to lock herself in her bedroom, but he was too close up behind her. And he punched her in the face, breaking her jaw and knocking her out, raped her and then wrapped her in the bed sheet and took him out to his truck. Hence why the dog only scented from, you know, yeah. down the driveway. It's just vomit. So Stanley took a plea deal and got a reduced sentence of 20 years in prison. Oh, wait. He's like almost out. Yeah. Well, no, because this was, this all happened in 2010. Oh, yeah. 2010 is when Len Hunt got on the case. Oh, uh, okay. Sorry. Or got higher, got, you know. And I think in that, all in all, 2013 is when he got convicted. Okay. To this day, he admits to raping Jessica, but not murdering her. So it's really unlikely that he'll get out early. Uh, he's going to have to serve his full term because admitting guilt means you have some remorse, which is a requisite for parole. Whatever. But Stanley lived with the from 1989 to 1996. Like Mike and Edna took them and took him into their home. And the entire time you're raping their daughter, it's the dirt bag is, I can't, I can't move past it. Yeah. That's the thing Mike says, I wish we could hang him. I'm like, me too, Mike. Oh my God, for real. So he is still maintaining his innocence against murder, not just not the rape part and whatever. All bullshit. But let's talk about Bucky real quick. Yeah, now I feel bad. Oof, you're about to feel worse. Bucky went on to have five children, one of which is special needs, and had to have three open-heart surgeries. The community came together to provide his family with permanent housing, a car, and clothing, and Bucky wanted to work, but he was on permanent disability because in 2005, he ran into a burning trailer to save four children, resulting in permanent lung, lung damage. What? Can you so whatever your initial thoughts were of Bucky, take them all back? Now he's a sweet angel bear. Oh my god, he saved all four. Yes, he still should not have been prank calling. No the one should, family. but no that one. is yeah. so. Oh my gosh, no one's disputing that, but he probably just didn't understand how effed up that was. Yeah. Well, he's he's not in jail for it. No, he's not. So but I'm, in June of 2021, he unfortunately died. In his sleep while at home. Oh gosh, because of his lung issues? Said so natural causes. Yeah. Lord, I did not Man. know that part. I know. It's sad. So, getting back to those facts, Bucky throwing up at the river bottoms, we Stanley. already covered Stanley. That. Oh, I'm so sorry. Stanley throwing up at the river bottoms because while I do think he was, um, wanted her to be found and wanted closure. He's demented, whatever. Once they started getting close, he got real he got nervous. Sun. He got real nervous because uh, Len Hunt did ask Mike, like, how close were y'all to where Jessica was found to when Stanley threw up? And he was like, oh, I would say less than half a mile. Oh, yeah. Um, ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he was nervous. Yeah. Ever. I know. And I don't, I only say this, um, it was probably her yelling because I'm like, how did Stanley so happen to pull up minutes later?
1: I was wondering like, that
0: too. Nothing confirms anything on that either, and I know that's going to be questions listeners have too. So I wanted to revert back to those two facts. I Meg mean, no sources said like it has to be. He had to have heard his sister. It's oh, how, just too coincidental. How far is it from the barn? Their house from the barn? Not far. Shepherdsville's a second.
1: Yeah, of, a radius.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know, but it was like minutes like he had got his gun, looked around the back, kind of while he was on and then Stanley pulled up. So I'm like, "Mm, that's just too coincidental. Yeah. No, I think it's for sure possible. Yeah. Um, One thing that I know about the story that you didn't mention Mm -hmm. was them trying to pin it on the two high school boy drug dealers. Yeah, I felt that was unnecessary. So she did LSD. Who cares? Yeah, but I was I just remember when I first heard the story that so the story was like, I don't even know the story was I don't I think her did her friend come out and say like we did buy drugs before a party the night before and we did acid or what she was scared to say. I don't know. Anyway, here's who sold us the acid. It was like these two high school boys who were in her class and were like had a bad reputation for being just like wild. But even when we were hearing that story, I was like. No, boys, like, everyone had those boys in their class who were, like, had yeah. a bad reputation. If you wanted drugs, that's where you go. But
1: right. they're not,
0: like, like, I'm, like, I was immediately, like, nope, nope. Right, no, that, it was a part of the story. But as you, they get too much in a rabbit hole on it, and it just adds more people to the factor. and <laughs> gets a little confusing, and they didn't do it. And it just opens the door. It's like, yeah, Jessica did so a little, she dabbled in drugs. Well, who cares? But it did not end up going anywhere. I just, I was like, eh, it's kind of unnecessary. Yeah, you're right. Like they weren't a main, they're not main characters of the story. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it. No, I like it. Because everyone did have those boys in the class. I was, I'm like, they're not violent, though. Right. They're kids experimenting with drugs. No one is holding anyone up and torturing them. Let's get out of here. Yeah. You know, I do. So um, that was right. so good. Uh, uh, thanks, poor Jessica. May she rest. You are the best. People are the worst. Join our Patreon. Join our Patreon. If it's up, it will be. This is why bonus it's episodes. Bonus yeah. episodes where I tell you about Rebecca's landlord. No, Hi. we're gonna tell just weird ass stories from every personal stories, Reddit stories, everything, creepy encounters. Yeah, everything or like good, just solid true crime stories that are just too short. Like there are a few I've read that I'm like, there's just no way to make a real episode. It's going to be 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. They'll probably be like 20 minutes or less. They'll be short. Probably longest. Yeah, they'll be really short. So like those will be bonus episodes on our Patreon. Yep. Okay. Um, and if you're interested, use promo code People Suck. Oh, yeah. On twinks.com. T-W-I-N-N-K-S Mm -hmm. copy ass loungewear all of it make merch with people are the worst shirts yeah we i want to make merch um i put on our patreon future merch discounts for different levels um but i'm like i need someone to design it (laughs) okay submit your designs (laughs) submit your designs to us and if you have a creepy story that we can share send it to us oh my god yes any like a close call or like a friend of a friend. Yeah. Yeah. People are the worst pod at gmail.com or just like message us on Instagram, yeah. wherever, Reddit. You know. You know what's up. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. People are the worst. Part of the beast. All right. Bye.